If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. This episode is brought to you by Udugu.com, where you need to find high-quality leads from Facebook and Instagram. There's only one name to call and one man to trust. That's O-D-O-G-W-U.com, the growth marketing guy. If you love today's episode, please feel free to go on iTunes and like the show and leave a review and a comment in iTunes. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I have a great guest today. I'm talking to AJ Wilcox. AJ started a company that's solely focused on generating leads and customers off LinkedIn. Now, I know people have actually heard about generating leads and customers from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and whatnot, but the LinkedIn universe is one thing that um, very few people have been able to crack, and AJ is a specialist that has cracked the code and is here to tell us a little bit about what he does. So his company is B2Linked. It's a certified marketing partner with LinkedIn. He calls his company a performance marketing company. AJ is the enthusiastic evangelist of LinkedIn. So he's here to tell us a little bit about the untapped power and potential of LinkedIn as a business building and revenue driving vehicle. As you all know, LinkedIn is a part of the Microsoft family, but as a standalone network, everybody uses LinkedIn for business purposes. So if you want to change jobs or you want to position yourself as an expert, what most people do is they build a profile on LinkedIn and that helps them connect with employers that are looking to hire or just being able to network with people in their field and their industry. So I'm pleased to have AJ on the line today to drop some wisdom bobs about what he's been doing and how he's achieving amazing results for himself and his clients. So without further ado, let's get started. AJ, welcome to the show. Chi, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be bulletproof for the next 40 minutes. (laughs) That's right. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, AJ. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in the state of Arizona in the United States and uh, ended up, I I served a religious mission in Ukraine, uh, speaking Russian for a couple of years. And when I came back my parents had moved to the state of Utah. So I came to an area that, uh, that I didn't know, wasn't comfortable with, didn't, didn't have any friends, anything like that. But I started going to school there in the state of Utah at a school called Brigham Young University. And while I was there, I I took a marketing class because I kind of thought I wanted to study psychology. I'm so glad I didn't. Um, I I took a marketing class and was like, wow, this stuff is really, really interesting to me. I think I want to study marketing. And in the meantime, I was working a tech job. I was probably getting paid more than any other job on the school campus uh, because I was just really good at technology, you know, supporting like internet connections and servers and that kind of thing. And the whole time I was thinking, man, I know I want to study marketing. I, I know I want to get a job after I graduate, but how in the world am I ever going to get a job in marketing when all of my skills are in tech? And then fast forward a couple of years, I was in a a marketing class and a guest lecturer came in and started speaking about search engine optimization um, and other aspects of online marketing. And it was was right then the light bulb went off for me where I went, wow, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is the perfect blend of technology and marketing. And, uh, and so I went up after class and I begged this guy for an internship. He brought me on and that was the beginning of my, my, you know, 10 plus year, um, digital marketing journey was 
you know, right there in that classroom. So you started this internship with this guy. How how was the learning curve like? Because up until that point, you hadn't really dove deep and made that conscious decision to dedicate your life to marketing and building businesses. Yeah, it, it was such a steep learning curve, especially when you talk about digital marketing, where there are there are uh, various ad platforms, and there's search engine optimization, and there's email marketing, and there's conversion optimization, and there's building websites, and there's web design, and the list just keeps going on and on. There's so much you can do, and in any field of digital marketing, you really have to get fairly comfortable or at least be able to talk the talk uh, about all of those different aspects. Um, so it was. It was quite uh, quite steep, but – I have kind of the uh, the entrepreneur mindset. I've always been really interested in the side hustle. And so from day three, I mean, as soon as I started learning about search engine optimization at that internship, I was talking to everyone I knew, uh, telling them that I – on a performance basis, I, I would love to run SEO campaigns for them. Started bringing on clients on the side that, of course, I wasn't telling my employers about, and uh, and that kind of started. I, I just I loved the side hustle in digital marketing. Okay, so now what do you mean by performance basis? Before we continue, because a lot of people might not understand what that terminology is. Oh yeah, great question. So uh, when I first started out, I, I felt a little bit sheepish about charging money uh, to, to people when you know I was still brand new I didn't know quite what I was doing I might screw something up and so what I did is I in order to sell I went to a few business owners and I said hey tell you what I want to come and run search engine optimization campaigns for you and I want to take a percentage of whatever gain that I, I net you. And so that was the performance marketing. It was, if I don't move my butt and make some money for you, then I don't get paid. Oh, okay. So that means you actually had to make a sale or you just had to generate the lead. Yeah. Yeah. I had to generate the sales at that point. Okay. So you were doing the sales and okay, that's interesting. So now you do that, you work for this guy for 10 years and then what happens? You switch jobs to a new company. Well, I only ended up working with him for about a year, okay. um, and then I happened to graduate right into 2007, like uh, end of 2007, early 2008, okay. when the market here was just falling apart. Yeah, I graduated, and no one was no one was hiring. Everyone was was uh, out of work. Yeah, um, and I so know, I, I, I know spent, how that is. I graduated in that time too. <laughs> yes. Okay, you and me both. It was oh awful. And I had a full year of digital marketing experience at this point, and I couldn't find a job. Finally found one for $11 an hour doing keyword research at, at another agency. And uh, that was like the lowest of the low at this company. But within you know a year and a half, uh, I worked my way up to being the, the team lead over SEO um, at the company. So it anyway, was able to be a little bit mobile, but that was a bad time for me to leave school. <laughs> yeah, I know. So now do you think your SEO background helped you to transition into LinkedIn sufficiently? I know we'll get to how you discovered LinkedIn, but I want to know because a lot of people that are in digital marketing space always seem to come from either search or SEO or some other PPC method, maybe Google AdWords. Yeah, I view digital marketing in through two lenses. You have search activities and and social activities. And search activities, whether paid or organic, so whether it's SEO or AdWords, I learned both. But they were all about targeting keywords, mm -hmm. you know, defining keywords, targeting keywords. Um, and driving traffic through keywords. Social media, also whether organic or paid, it's similar, but it's all about audience versus mm. 
uh, versus keyword. And so your mindset has to shift a little bit. But I do believe that because I had search experience, moving that over and saying, okay, instead of targeting keywords, I'm now going to target professional traits of actual people. I think my mind was primed to be able to accept that. Rather than focusing on the keywords and the intent behind it, you now focus on the who instead of the exactly. you know, intent. Okay, great. So how did you dive into LinkedIn? Yeah, so my uh, my very first day of work when I went in, I, I got recruited by a bigger tech company here locally. I had five years of digital marketing experience under my belt at that point. Um, this was a, a funded, a highly funded startup. I was really excited. I go in and talk to the CMO on my first day, and I laid out my whole marketing plan. And I remember her saying, "Okay, all that sounds great. Go ahead and execute, uh, but also just so you know, we started a pilot using LinkedIn advertising. See what you can do with it." And I told her, yes, ma'am, and saluted and turned around and walked out of her office. And then I started laughing because I, I had been doing digital marketing for five plus years at that point, And I'd never even heard of LinkedIn ads, literally had no idea it existed. Um, so I, I didn't want to look bad in front of my, my brand new boss at my first day of, of work. So I went and jumped into the platform, started working feverishly to figure things out. And within about two weeks, one of our sales reps came up to me and said, AJ, we don't know what you're doing, but we absolutely love your leads. Keep it up. And I go and look at the leads that the sales rep is dispositioning, and all of them at this point were sourced from LinkedIn ads. And that was not the only digital marketing channel I was using. And so it was at that point I realized, okay, I think there's something here. Something is uh, is possible with LinkedIn ads that I didn't know was possible before. And then all of that was augmented as I continued doing work over the, the next two and a half years. And anytime I had a question about LinkedIn, of course, I would take it to Google and I'd say, how do you do X on LinkedIn ads? And there were no articles out there. No one was discussing it. No one was teaching about it. And so I started to get this thought in the back of my head like, hey, if no one else is doing that, maybe that could be me. Maybe that's my market opportunity. Mm, so you had that revelation that if there's a window for you to fit in, maybe you could actually own that space as the LinkedIn marketing guy. Exactly. Because if uh, all my life I've been considering myself a, an entrepreneur in thought, but never had the guts to break off and do something on my own, couldn't divorce myself from getting a steady paycheck. Um, that was super scary to me. But I would always have these business ideas and I would take them to my wife and say, hey, honey, I've got this idea. What do you think about this? When I took her this idea about LinkedIn ads and saying we could be the only consultancy, the only uh, public speakers, the only agency that that focuses on this, um, she said – I remember when she told me this. Well, you know, you've brought some pretty crazy ideas to me, but actually this one seems like it has the most legs. And, and so I, I put that in the back of my head. I was and don't spend for the wife. That's a win. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, she, she's the one you got to win over. Yeah. Okay, so you have this endorsement from your wife, and then you, you just said, you know, you never had the guts to go out and make it on your own. What happened? What leads to you being fired from the company and then having that, you know, sink or swim event that made you yes. start the company. My, fa <laughs> my favorite story. So, uh, so I'd been working at this company for about two and a half years. Um, things 
started to not go super well. I wasn't excited to come to work in the morning anymore. And then one day my boss walks me to the, the HR person's office. And it was at that point I realized I was getting laid off. And, uh, and so it, it became sink or swim. Um, my, I, you know, I've obviously married, um, have at the time I had three kids with one on the way. So the breadwinner complex in me was just going crazy. Like, Oh no, you're not going to be able to provide for your family. And so I, I again brought it up to my wife, like, Hey, I think I could do something with LinkedIn advertising. And she said, okay, I would feel re- a lot more comfortable if you went out and got some job offers just to see what's out there. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I went out and interviewed around, uh, economy was great. I ended up getting four job offers. Um, uh, three of them were well over what I was making at the previous position. So financially we were, we were like going to be okay. Um, but we're, we're pretty religious people. And so, uh, my wife and I prayed about it and, yeah. um, we kept getting these answers every time we'd pray about a new job offer. I'd get the answer. Nope. Turn it down. Nope. Turn it down. Mm. And finally brought up, okay, well, you know, what about this idea? I've kind of been nursing about going off to be the LinkedIn ads evangelist. And I got the answer, pursue that, uh, which was super scary because I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but like I said, never had the guts. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that kind of be- began my next five months were some of the most stressful of my entire life, uh, but also some of the very most rewarding. All right. So talk a little bit about those five months that were super stressful. What, what, what were the things that were going on? I mean, you had the the pressure of the baby effect, having a baby on the way, being a provider, having to provide for your wife and your three kids. And then now you're set to launch this new business but five months of struggle. What were some of the really dark times in that five months? What were some of the pain points that you were coping with? Well, first of all, we're big planners, big savers. And so we we took a look at what we had in the bank account. We said, okay, we have 11 months of runway. So if we're into this business 11 months and we're still not making enough money to survive – at that point, AJ, you're going to go out and look for a job. Yes, I am. Okay, that, that's our plan. So 11 months of runway, um, and I, I got moving. So very first off, uh, I took a couple days off and went went hiking because I I still wasn't uh, wasn't at peace with the idea that someone had just told me that I wasn't worth having around. But um, after that, I started digging in. I started looking on Upwork.com and other websites for people who had questions about LinkedIn ads mm-hmm. and. Uh, and doing some like some simple consulting work. Um, I also started taking my friends out to lunch that I hadn't connected with for a while and wanted to let them know what I was doing and, and see if they had any referrals for me. I, um, so that was kind of month one. Me and my wife decided very quickly that we were going to clamp down and not spend a single dime unless we had to, because mm. uh, we wanted to make, make sure this runway lasted. And that became a little bit of a point of contention as, as you can imagine, because you know, when every time my wife goes to the store to buy food for the kids, she's constantly under pressure going, Oh no, should I buy that? It was, it was really tough. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time we even had a little bit of a fight because she brought home Kraft macaroni and cheese and, and I told her she should have spent 10 cents less and gotten the generic brand. And so those are the kind of things that were going on in my head that, that just were not great. Um, but by month two, I had a couple of clients, wasn't paying the bills yet, but had a couple of clients and uh, started going to a lot of networking events here locally. I also reached out to other potential tangential kinds of businesses who – not competitors, but people who maybe create software for LinkedIn uh, or people who do other types of digital marketing, maybe Facebook ads, and 
maybe I could go on webinars or do podcasts with them and, and, and teach their and train their audience about LinkedIn ads. So those types of things ended up getting two really big clients from, from those efforts. And that was great. So we were kind of on our way up. Things were looking good. Still, the bills weren't being covered. But by month five, I had generated enough business through these uh, these like networking and and content building channels mm-hmm. that by month five, we looked at the bank account and we had recouped the salary of uh, of my previous employer. And it was at that point we said, "Whew, okay, we can make this. This is real. This is going to be a real company." Great. So you were using content marketing to kind of like build and position yourself as a LinkedIn expert to generate um, clients for the new business. Now, what I want to know is this. Um, the very first client you got, was that as a result of these efforts or um, what? How did you convince that first person to take a chance and go on LinkedIn? Because I'm sure at the time, nobody was actually thinking of um, advertising on LinkedIn to find um, clients for their products or services. No, the very first deal was actually from a friend that I took out to lunch okay. and he, he, he and I were talking about what LinkedIn's good for. And then he went home. By the time I got home from lunch, I had an email, uh, from him introducing me to like, like 10 different of his contacts. One of those contacts ended up being the first client. And what's so magical about LinkedIn advertising is, uh, everyone out there who's business to business is looking for more leads. It's a constant pain point. Mm -hmm. And then you also have this brand of LinkedIn that has a lot of trust. Like people really, really like LinkedIn. Um, it's a mainstay in, in their professional lives. And so when you're, when you're telling them, I have a way of getting you more leads. Oh, and by the way, it's with this platform that you already know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty easy sell. Plus, Back then, I was charging very, very low prices because I wanted to get clients and, and get the portfolio full. Um, so I think all of those things helped in getting the first few. Okay. So now you start getting clients that are interested in doing B2B. Facebook is um, the number one platform for B2C. But um, why is um, LinkedIn so powerful for B2B? What's the ROI like? What's, um, what are some, some of the benefits? How do you... You know, do business on LinkedIn. What what type of companies see the best results on LinkedIn? Well, well, so far and away, these are these are a lot of questions. So I'll try to oh, cover sorry. all of them. <laughs> um, no, no worries. There's just so much to this. Um, so LinkedIn, by far and away, has the best access to audience. Okay. So for instance, Facebook does have some targeting for B2B. You can target by job title, by company size, company name, company industry, and a few others. And those would be really interesting in B2B if people actually put those things into their profiles. But so few people do that it's really hard to achieve scale with B2B. And so I think you're very right in saying Facebook is wonderful for B2C. It's a little bit tougher for B2B, uh, especially if you want large volume. And then you look at LinkedIn, where every single person who creates a profile is automatically telling you everything about their professional life. And all of these are things that we can use as advertisers to say, we only want someone who is, uh, who is a small business owner in uh, you know in this geography to see these ads, don't show it to anyone else. And so every single lead that we get is from the exact type of prospect that the customer wants to work with. So that's the beauty of LinkedIn. Now there are some downsides to it as well because 
you definitely pay for that level of access to people. Yeah. I, I found that usually here in the United States, we're paying somewhere between about six and eight dollars per click. Whereas those same clicks on Facebook are probably costing somewhere between about eighty cents and a dollar fifty. Mm-hmm. And so there is there is a massive difference. So because of that, because of the fact that you have to pay more to get the initial foot in the door. I tell people that you have to have make sure that you have a deal size on the back end that's large enough to uh, to you know mitigate what you had to pay up front. And so what I've found is generally if you're making over about fifteen thousand dollars on a deal size or a lifetime value of a customer, then LinkedIn's definitely going to play out well for you, uh, or at least has a really good chance of it. If you're making much less than that, then LinkedIn's probably going to be hard just because the initial clicks are so expensive. So um, I think the best companies for LinkedIn are those with large deal sizes in B2B with a very specific type of target that you can't hit anywhere else. I think that's going to be successful. Okay. So now when you talk about um, deal size at, at lifetime value, so how does one calculate the lifetime value? Because um, I understand what it is, but a lot of people may not. And then that means that if you're talking about $15,000, um, new companies, new startups that are just fresh out the gate may not have the data to calculate the LTV of their products and services very early in the game. Yeah, that's so right. I mean, most young companies don't know what their lifetime value is going to be. And that theoretically should be calculated by saying, okay, how much are people paying per year? How many years do they stick around with us? Okay, that's going to be our lifetime value. We pay to acquire you. And then over the course of the next three years, the next six years, we're going to be collecting money from you. And if that equals over about 15k, you're doing great. But as you know, we don't necessarily know with young companies how long people are going to stick around. And of course, they're going to continue to make process improvements and software improvements to try to keep people longer. So it really is a moving target. Um, I think it's pretty simple for most companies to estimate how sticky things are. You get to the end of year one and you're starting to talk to your customers. And if you hear them saying like, yeah, yeah, we're definitely planning on renewing. This is helpful. Then you can say, okay, well, we know it's at least going to be two years or a year and a half or something like that. Um, I I think that's the way I go about it for younger companies. Okay. In the long run, because people are on both platforms, how do you think people should go about um, targeting, segmenting, and creating winning offers on each platform. Is there a way to cross-pollinate and let's say do one type of ad on Facebook and then have that refer to something else on LinkedIn or so? I'm trying to figure out a way where you can marry two different strategies to get the best results for something. I love where you're, Yeah, I love where your head's at on this one, Chi. Uh, so social media is... Um, I've been told by Dennis Yu, he's a famous Facebook advertiser, and he said, look, all social media is exactly the same. All the people on the other end are the same. It's just different media, different ways of reaching those same people. And so if you have a good offer set up on Facebook and you happen to be reaching the right professionals, it's going to perform well. That same thing when you translate it to LinkedIn and target those same type of professionals also going to perform really well. So a lot of times what I'll suggest to especially newer advertisers, maybe people with smaller budgets, is, hey, go start out on Facebook ads. Learn your mistakes at $80 – or sorry, $80 – $0.80 cents per click – and then once you've figured things out and things are working really well, then move it over to LinkedIn where 
it will be more expensive, uh, but equally as efficient. So, um, I, I think that's my, my recommendation is find ways of targeting no matter what platform you're on. If you're on Twitter ads, if you're on AdWords, whatever, find the way to target the right person. And then that same message, if it's successful, uh, one place, social media advertising is like a megaphone where it just amplifies, mm-hmm. uh, it, it will be successful wherever you amplify it. Oh, okay. And so now thinking about demographics on LinkedIn, like how would one, if if someone is trying to set up an advertising campaign, how would one think about, uh, you know, targeting the right demographic? You've already said things like um, looking at the job titles, the job descriptions, but what, what are some of the um, mindsets that people should look out for when crafting a winning offer on LinkedIn? Yeah. So I think first defining your audience, uh, I have four different ways on LinkedIn that I like to target any, any type of individual. So the client will come to me and they'll say, Hey, our target, we sell to CMOs, chief marketing officers. And if they say that, I know immediately that I'm going to have four different ways of reaching the CMO audience. I can go job title CMO. I can do uh, job function, which is essentially what department they work in, mm-hmm. job function, marketing, C-level or CXO seniority, and you combine those two things, and of course you get CMO. Uh, the third is going to be skills. I can target marketing types of skills and put a CXO seniority on top of that, and of course that's going to give me CMOs as well. And then fourth, I can target groups. I might even target groups that are specifically for CMOs. So anyone in that group, they've already been vetted by the community owner saying that they're a CMO, so y- you can trust that. Or you can just target marketing groups and overlay a CXO seniority on top of them. So that's four different ways of reaching the right person. And then you have the standard stuff. You've reached the right person. Now you want to reach uh, the right person at the right type of companies. So that's when you get to layer on things like company size, location, uh, company industry, um, maybe even company name. So that's the way I think about it. So if you came to me and you said, we want to advertise to CMOs, I'm going to immediately set up four separate campaigns for different audiences. And I'm going to run to that same type of CMO four different ways. And over time, I'm going to find that maybe one or two of those are more efficient than others. And then I can channel my budget just to the most successful places. Okay. So that means you're not, um, if I'm to use the Facebook terminology, you're not going to stack those four different criteria. You're going to create different ad sets, correct? Yep. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. If you stack all of them, you're going to end up with really, really small audiences. And I don't think it necessarily makes my audience more meaningful if I go and say they have to have the job title of CMO. Oh, and they have to be a member of a CMO group. I think that just, that's needlessly drilling down. But if I hit them four different ways over time, I might find that, wow, these groups are really efficient, but the audience sizes are kind of small versus job function. That makes for a really big audience and it's less expensive, but I'm not getting the right conversion rate from it. So you can make those kind of fine-tuning decisions as you go. Oh, okay. And now for LinkedIn, because it's a professional platform, people have a different mindset on LinkedIn as they do on um, Facebook and any of the other social media platforms. So what's the tonality in the copy? How do you craft something that's going to be enticing enough for somebody to make that click because if they're take for example at the cmo level you're not going to want to write some type of um, john carlton hype hype copy that will get them (laughs) to click right you have to you have to think of the mindset of the person and think of who that person is going to sell whatever you're selling to their yeah 
So how do you go about thinking about something like that? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. There is a mindset when you're on LinkedIn. When you're on LinkedIn, you're either thinking about your job or your career, one of those two things. And so if you're going to give someone an offer that has has to do with their job or their career, it's going to end up having a, a pretty good engagement rate. It means it's going to have a much better conversion rate. In fact, when I compare with Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads, same type of audience, same type of offer, what I'll generally see is having about twice the, the conversion rate from LinkedIn and I, I would attribute that to number one, that mindset that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, people are just ready for it. You're augmenting their career with your ad. And then second of all, uh, on Facebook, we we still have a lot of issues with with bot traffic and um, and fraudulent clicks. But LinkedIn just isn't big enough to have a uh, to have a target on its back yet. And so there's not a whole lot of that fraudulent activity going on. Um, so basically, all the clicks that you pay for are clicks you're going to get. Yeah. So and. And then when you're talking about the offer, you're absolutely right. You don't want to go after someone on any social media, at least with larger deal sizes, with a straight, you know, go right for the kill type of offer. You don't want to say, here, hop on the phone with our sales rep. Um, that's just going to scare the scare the crap out of anyone. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is uh, give them some sort of content, a freebie, something in exchange for their information. And then once you have their email, you can start to nurture that relationship, start a conversation. And so the types of assets that I see work best on LinkedIn, especially for getting executives are content informational assets like, uh, checklists, white papers, eBooks, guides, um, even to some extent webinars, although webinars are a little bit more, Involved, so I would call it a higher friction type of asset or offer. But yeah, start out with those. Those. It almost doesn't matter what type of asset it is, as long as the subject is interesting and educational and and appropriate for uh, for that type of professional. Uh, okay, and I've read somewhere that um, if you're targeting high level executives, you don't want to necessarily focus on teaching them how to do stuff. You just want to focus on informing them and positioning yourself as the guy to do stuff for them. They don't want, they don't want to do, they don't want to learn another thing to do. They actually just want to know that, Oh, there's a guy that does this for, for me. And he's the guy I'll go to if I have this problem. Do you think that's the case in your experience? I actually, I absolutely do. And I've actually run this test quite a few times. Okay. So I think you're right. When, when an executive sees an ad, they're thinking number one, who can do this for me? Or they're thinking, is my staff doing it wrong? Like, could my yeah. staff use this? What could they augment what they're doing by seeing this? So, um, what I will oftentimes do is I'll run a test and I'll say, I'm going to create a separate campaign for managers, another one for directors, another one for VPs, and another one for C-level, and then another one for the owners and the partners. And then I'm going to run exactly the same content in all five of those audiences. And what I'm going to find out very quickly is just by the initial click-through rate, the engagement, I'm going to find out who cares about what I'm talking about. Hmm. And that's going to give me a really strong score of, am I talking Talking to the right audience with with this offer uh, is this topic interesting to the C level or is it only interesting to the practitioners? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I like doing this test, and it's it's very true. You oftentimes will find that you'll have certain offers that work really well and engage the the VP and the C level people, and a different offer will have to engage the lower level. What are some of your best hacks for creating winning LinkedIn campaigns? Yeah, so I, I think. 
the first hack is really going to be not even a hack at all. Um, it, it's just I, I had a client and they were targeting uh, human resources uh, executives, and we we ran through about six or seven sorry six or seven different content offers and. Uh, you know, making ads for each, nothing special about performance. All of the assets tended to perform pretty well, Mm -hmm. but then they came out with an asset called, um, the definitive guide to onboarding. And I started running ads for that. And I all of a sudden could not lose. It didn't matter if the ad had a misspelling in it. It didn't matter if the ad wasn't super, uh, compelling it almost didn't matter what I put in there. That asset had a like a 45% conversion rate, brought in people into the funnel. They were having uh, people buy because of, of the conversations that were started there. It was just – it was incredible. So I think that just goes to show it almost doesn't matter what you do as a marketer, like client-facing. If you have good content, you're going to win. So number one tip – put effort into, into your content, like make sure that it's really solid and really useful. And the second hack, um, LinkedIn is obviously quite expensive. If you're looking at six to $8 per click, you're looking for a discount anywhere you can get it. The best discount I've found is on average, if you are running sponsored content ads on LinkedIn, you're going to have a click through rate and an initial engagement rate somewhere around 0.35%. That means every thousand times that ad gets shown, you'll get about three and a half clicks on it, um, which definitely is not a lot, but that's just kind of average. I've found that if I can create an ad that gets over 1%, so I'm outperforming the average by 3x, if I can get over 1%, I can switch my bidding from saying LinkedIn I'm going to pay per click to now I'm saying I'm going to pay you per thousand impressions because I've already proven out this ad. I know that it's outperforming your model by three times. So now I'm only going to pay you uh, for the impression and I can oftentimes get a really significant discount, sometimes even half the price or less um, by switching to the cost per thousand impressions or CPM model. And so that's my goal a lot of times is what ads can I create that will get a click-through rate over 1% so I can switch to to CPM bidding and, and get a discount. Okay. And now, as you've done all that, let's talk about retargeting. Can you retarget an audience that does not enter your funnel on LinkedIn or do you have to rely on Google AdWords or Facebook um, pixels? Oh, such a good question. So to handle the very first, you're right. You, uh, you're, it's just like the other platforms. You can only retarget audiences that make it to your landing page. As of April 24th, LinkedIn released the new feature where we can use retargeting, but it's it's using a, a cookie just like you know, traditional retargeting is. Um, and what's more than that, I wasn't super impressed by their retargeting offering simply because when you retarget, you're looking to stay in front of people wherever they are. The fact of the matter is people don't come to LinkedIn and to spend a whole bunch of time. Um, I think the statistic I've heard is that people spend about 17 minutes on LinkedIn per week, whereas they'll spend 17 or they'll check into Facebook 17 times per day. So for my money, I would much rather start uh, send all of my traffic from LinkedIn where I know exactly who the audience is, and then I'm going to retarget them using using both Facebook and Google AdWords. Facebook, I'm going to be in front of them no matter where they are in on social with uh, with Facebook and Instagram, and on on AdWords, I'm going to 
be able to cover them on the entire Google display network, which is essentially, essentially the whole web. Yeah. So if, if you want to be in front of people and remind them who you are, those are the two best networks to be in front of people regularly. Yeah, because no matter what, you're always at the top of their mind. They'll see you on LinkedIn. They may forget, but obviously they'll be on Facebook. They'll go to their favorite blogs or may, maybe you read it, and they'll still keep seeing you everywhere. That's exactly right. And what's even more magical, I think, about it is when you're, when you're uh, retargeting audiences that you've paid for socially – you know that every – like from this campaign that I'm telling you about, we know that every single visit uh, came from someone who is an HR decision maker. And that's really powerful because now I can show ads that uh, anyone in HR can can engage with. Whereas if you're retargeting search traffic, the only thing you know about that person is either what landing page they landed on or what keyword they were looking for. And you don't know anything else about them. So – Social traffic is great for things like upsells and cross-sells because you know who that person is professionally. What are some of the mistakes or the bad practices that people are currently doing on LinkedIn today and it's costing them a lot of money? Yeah, sure. So uh, from an advertising perspective, what I see happen is uh, someone will come over from search marketing like I do mm-hmm. or like I did. And they'll go to create their first audience and they go, okay, how am I going to structure my account? What do I call my first campaign? Um, In search, we're used to calling that by the keyword that we were targeting. On LinkedIn, when you move over to social, you have two choices. You can either name it after the asset you're trying to promote or the audience that you're going after. And I see a lot of people increasingly so who will start naming their campaigns after the asset that's in them. And this is problematic because as soon as you're done with that asset, at some point you're going to move on and create something new. And then now you just have this dead weight in your account, a campaign that sits there or ad sets that sit there that will never be used again. Mm. And, uh, and it can create a big mess in your account. So what I suggest doing is create evergreen campaigns, evergreen ad sets. And this is across all of social. When you go in and you say, okay, this audience here, this campaign and these ad sets represent CMOs or they represent HR professionals. And when you have a new asset, launch them into those campaigns and ad sets, let them run. And then when that, when those are done, when you're, you've fully saturated that offer and you're ready for the next Pause that offer and launch the new one into the same ad sets and campaigns. And it's going to, going to create this really simple um, uh, structure of your account that keeps it really small, keeps it really easily manageable, keeps out a lot of the waste, and it's really easily organized. So that's from the ad side. From the professional side, from the organic side, I see a lot of mistakes on LinkedIn, um, but I think the biggest one is going to be uh, people, I think everyone has a different connection strategy. Me personally, I won't connect to anyone on LinkedIn unless I know who you are. Uh, we've had a conversation, we've met, Mm. um, you know, something like that. Whereas there are a lot of people who say, Hey, you know what? I want to connect to everyone. I want to be able to access everyone. So I'm going to accept every type of invitation. Mm. There's an issue with this and that's on LinkedIn. You have, this issue where as soon as you connect to someone, it exposes their personal email address to you. Mm. And so we see these, these problems arise when people create honeypot accounts where they'll go and start to connect to people. They create a, a fake profile and then 
they will just harvest all of those email addresses and start sp- sending you spam email to your your inbox. Mm. So because of that, I like to be really careful about who I connect to. Um, anyone who's listening, you can go to LinkedIn, actually go search Google for how do I export my LinkedIn connections to spreadsheet and it'll send you to a link. You click go. It will take all of your connections on LinkedIn, spit them out into a giant CSV. And one of those columns is personal email address. Email. It's wow. really really easy to harvest email addresses on LinkedIn. So be a little bit selective about who you who you connect with. I mean, maybe even do a little bit of research and it, make sure that they're a real person before connecting. In my own experience, I've noticed that a lot of groups are misused and it just seems like a portal for spam and you just get all those um, annoying messages in your inbox from LinkedIn that have no real value. What do you think people should do about them? Um, strategically working or utilizing groups yeah groups are so hit and miss i mean if you go and join 10 groups you'll find that six of them have nothing but automated posting and spam there's no conversation actually happening it's just another content distribution channel for someone and maybe in the other four you'll have actual conversation that's happening so what I've done is I go and join a group. I'll pay attention for about two days. And if I see real humans interacting, then I'll go, great, this is worth my time mm. uh, versus just drop out of the ones where it's just automated spam. I, I just – I really wish LinkedIn could do something with their groups to enforce that, keep automatic posting away. Um we really, you really only want to be a part of a community where humans are. But when there's just a whole bunch of robots interacting, it doesn't help anyone. Yeah. And, um, okay, so I want, uh, well, there are two things here, then we'll get to, like, the winding down question. So the first one is probably, um, like, a case study, for example. Could you give us, like, a case study that has succeeded beyond your wildest expectation in the past? Yeah, I, I think it's that HR example. With, the HR with, one, okay. uh, Yeah, with the software company, because... Okay. Uh, I mean, like I said, I tried so many different things. Nothing was interesting until they came out with good content. Mm. And all of a sudden, then it was like, you just can't do any wrong. Um, And we did the same breakout where, you know, how I told you I would create five different campaigns targeting all the same, uh, the same type of person. I I, I would, or I would have four separate campaigns targeting job title, job function, skill, and group for each type of, of, uh, of seniority. And so when you're talking about just HR, let's say managers and above, I had that split out into like 64 different campaigns. So it was a lot to manage, but what we were able to do over time was to find out, wow, uh, VPs and C-level people are engaging with this. So let's create more content like that versus managers are creating other, are engaging with other types of content. This type of manager, targeted by skill maybe is uh is really efficient but this manager targeted by job function is too expensive and over time we just be able to finally tune it decide which campaigns to shut off and funnel the rest of the budget to what is working and and it was it was beyond wildest dreams fantastic for the company and they're set up quite nicely and are you the one creating the content for your clients or your clients create the content and then you use that and leverage on that in your advertising campaign. 
Yeah, I have them bring their their content. They know their business. They okay. know their customer way better than we do. Yeah. We do have some resources we can send people to for asset creation. Mm. But generally, the companies that, that are that have the budget to spend on LinkedIn have been thinking at least about uh, good content creation strategy. Okay, great. Can we flip it on its head? And rather than having the HR manager running an ad campaign, we have a job seeker running an ad campaign to a HR manager positioning themselves as the best candidate for a particular job. Yes, I've actually run this kind of campaign oh, before. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so some potential issues here. Most people who are applying for different positions, they know the types of companies they want to go work for. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you probably want to get super specific. It would be amazing if you could say, uh, hey, Microsoft, uh, I want to come work for you. But LinkedIn has this... Uh, this minimum audience size in their ads that if you create an ad, it has to be shown to at least a thousand people. And so if you're going after, you know, the fortune 100, sure, you can do that. You can say, uh, anyone who's in HR at these three companies, for instance, um, you know, maybe you can get a thousand people who, who fit that versus, um, if you're going after small companies, you have to go after a lot more companies and then you can't tune your ad copy to, to call out specifically to that company. You have to make it more general. And I think when you make your ad copy less general, you're going to get lower engagement rates and, and it's going to look less personal and, and, uh, less sophisticated. So big companies, I think you can make it work. Smaller ones, it gets a little bit tougher. Okay, that's great. Because um, I was just thinking, like strategically, do you think that will be <laughs> um, not too desperate <laughs> on the on the part of the job seeker? But it's something new to try out. You know, you never really hear of um, this type of strategy applied to a job search. That's yeah, it it definitely could come off as desperate. But if it comes off as as novel and intriguing, yes. I think that's where it gets interesting. Right. So just. Be mindful, like make sure that if you do the strategy that it doesn't come off as desperate, like, hey, I need a job. It's a look what I can do for you yeah. and look, look at how novel I am in the way that I'm reaching you. Yeah, great. All right, AJ. So as we start to wind down, I have some wrapping up questions for you. And the first of which is, um, what was the worst job you ever had and what did you learn from it? Ooh, I, I actually had quite a few uh, pretty crappy jobs. Um, I think probably the worst is going to be, uh, I had a job collating paper for binders. And so this was actually a project that my, my dad, when he was working for a bank would outsource to me. So he'd go to a printing company and he'd have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, uh, of papers printed. And then my job would be to take all of them, collate them and put them into workbooks so that they, his company could use them in training. And he paid me really well. Uh, I think as a kid, I was making like as a, I don't know, 11 year old kid, I was making $10 an hour, which was amazing for that. But still that meant that all of my time was take paper from stack one, paper from stack two, paper from stack three, clip into binder, put in a stack mm-hmm. next. It was horribly mindless. <laughs> uh, and uh who's an entrepreneur you admire and why do you admire that person so much Ooh, that's a good one um you know i don't know if i have one specifically i i look at entrepreneurs and there are several classes of them you okay. have pe- people who uh specifically 
they knew that they wanted to be an entrepreneur even when they didn't have their idea yet. And I knew these kind of people in college who uh, they were like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, what company do you work for? Or, you know, what company you're starting? Oh, I don't know yet, but I know I want to be an entrepreneur uh, versus those who maybe came more from my kind of area, which was go work until you find a skill that you're better at than anyone else uh, and, and kind of combine. So uh, I would say, I, I think, the entrepreneurs that I respect the most tend to be those who had it harder than me. Uh, those who went out and started a company with overhead because my company had no overhead. I, I, I could run on very, very little. Um, but someone who had to put their entire life savings in, I feel like those are the true entrepreneurs and I have infinite respect. I just couldn't do what they did. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, we live in such an amazing time where you can actually start a business with nothing more than a laptop and an internet connection. So true. Yeah. What are some of the books, tapes, messages, and things you draw on that help you, you know, stay sharp as a marketer and improve your skill set? Yeah. So I think as a marketer, for the first little while, I would read a lot of blogs, and that was helpful in understanding how digital marketing works. I'm now to a point in my career where I don't hear a whole lot that's new. Uh, so I, I really like novel ideas. So I have become an avid listener of podcasts like yours. And so I, I love listening to ideas and concepts that are outside of the scope of marketing because I already feel like I have marketing down pretty well. Mm. Uh, now I want to hear more about entrepreneurship and business and, uh, and even like strange ideas, um, you know, things like, like in the design field or in history, those types of things are getting my attention right now. Okay. So what are some of your favorite podcasts? So there's one called How I Built This. Do you know that one no, from, from NPR? No. Okay, so that, that one's interesting. He, he takes uh, – it, it's a guy named Guy Raz. He brings on people uh, who've built you know big companies that we've heard of, like the, the CEO of Airbnb or the founder of Uber, um, and bring them on and have them tell the story about how they created what they did. And you get to hear the whole backstory of this product or service that I use, this is the humble beginnings it came from. So mm. that one's really interesting. Um, there's, there's one called, um, the art of charm that I like, yeah. and it's all about how to become a better person uh, like that one. in interpersonal skills. Yeah. I just, I love that one. So, um, I, I think those, those two are incredible. There's one called marketing school by Neil Patel. Patel. Yeah. Neil yep. is just yep. a man. <laughs> and he publishes yeah. so much content. He's so super prolific. He so is. And all of these podcast episodes, they're straight to the point. It's five minutes. And they, they tell you the, the meat, exactly what you need to know about a topic, and then they move on. It's something you can literally listen to every single day. And, uh, and I like that, that format. Oh, great. And um, if you were to start all over again, is there anything you would have done differently? You know, I don't think so. I, I've, uh, like I told you, I kind of did a side hustle at the beginning of my career around mm -hmm. search engine optimization. And I realized very quickly that I was never going to be the world's SEO expert. Um, there are too many people. The field was, was already too well established. And, you know, when I would pitch to speak at conferences, I would never get accepted. There just were too many voices in that crowd, uh, versus, 
I kind of stumbled into LinkedIn advertising and I'm so happy and I feel so blessed that I did because it's something that no one else in the world cares about enough to pursue. Um, and, and I'm able to speak at events and stuff because I'm the only one in the world who's ever told someone that, they, that they're willing to speak on that topic. So I, I don't think I'd do anything differently. I would just tell anyone else if you're in that, this kind of, uh, if you're facing this kind of uh, a decision in your life, make sure that what you have is so unique that people will beat down doors to get to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be your best option. If you just try to be another face in the crowd, I couldn't have started my business in, in five months to to financial freedom. Like That wouldn't have happened if I had a, a more general type of topic that I was going after. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, just chase what is uh, what you make very unique. Unique, okay. And the last question of the day will be: um, if you're talking to someone that's thinking of starting a venture, kind of like you did, or as a recent grad graduating now, where you know people have um, very high student loans and um, not quite as many opportunities as before thanks to technology and offshoring and all that stuff. Um, what do you think someone should do to position themselves um, to become like an expert in maybe an emergent field or to gain skills that will help them stand out as they're looking for jobs and opportunities? Oh, I absolutely love this question. I'm so passionate about education. And I felt like when I graduated from school, I had an education in marketing. But then when I went to my first job in digital marketing, it, none of the stuff I learned applied. It just it wasn't helpful. Yeah. Um, so what I would suggest is if you're looking in a certain field, go take a job. Like go work for the man for a little while in the industry that you want to be in and, and hustle. I, I know – you know, 98% of the people that you're around and you work with are going to show up at, at nine, leave at five, and then they're going to go home and, and do nothing else. They're going to play games, but you need to hustle. Uh, there's, there's no rule that states that you can't learn faster than your work would let you acquire knowledge. So get in where you want, hustle, do, do moonlighting, uh, do free projects for people, whatever you can to, to, to you know grow so much in that career and then when you find your your niche the thing that you want to do you have so much more experience than any equivalent of your peers great and with that said my friend we've reached the end of the show it's really been a pleasure having you on board for this last one hour sharing so much wisdom about linkedin business strategy marketing and um AJ, do you have a book or a podcast or a course or anything that people can come and reach you? Where can people find you and learn more about you and what you're doing? Why, thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) If you go to b2linked.com, that's the letter B, the number two, and then the word linked.com. If you go to uh, courses, you can sign up for my first course. My first course is probably going to come out sometime around the end of the month. And anyone who's on my, my course list, it's like a, a new, like a, a, not like a newsletter, uh, uh, notify me when the courses are available. If you're on that notification list by the time I release, um, everyone will get the first course for free. And that will be a basic, like I'm going to hold your hand and walk you through everything about LinkedIn ads on the platform so that you'll, go in with both eyes open. Um, so that, that's the point of the course. Uh, like I said, hoping for the end of this month, I've been telling people for a while. Uh, so 
yeah, I think that'll be a good offer for anyone who's interested in maybe learning more about how to run LinkedIn ads for themselves. Nice, nice. And um, what about following you? Are you active on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? What's your t- oh, LinkedIn? That's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very active on Twitter, actually. So if you follow Wilcox AJ, that's me, and I, I'm really easily reached there. Um, you can you can definitely come to connect with me on LinkedIn, but you've got to include a personalized message. You know, tell me that you, tell me that you heard me on Cheese Show um, and you know, give me a good reason to connect to you. Uh, cause like I said, I want to make sure that my network stays with people that, that I, I know. Um, so I don't get put into a honeypot and spammed for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's great. And I'll link to all the things you've talked about in the show notes. My friend, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming aboard. I really enjoyed the last one hour. Wish you continued success and I hope your business keep growing gangbusters. Now, are you the only certified partner for LinkedIn? There are other certified marketing partners, but we're the only one who is uh, a service specifically focused on LinkedIn advertising. Uh, most everyone else is, is a technology platform of some kind. So yeah, it was a fun designation for us to get. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Good, sir. Thank you for coming on board. You rock, Chi. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. If you like the episode, please leave a review and a rating on itunes it helps more wonderful listeners like you find the show and as always this episode was brought to you by odogu.com that's o-d-o-g-w-u.com if you need someone to help you out with your facebook and instagram marketing and you want to turn advertising into profit for your company look no further than odogu.com signing out don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources, and we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.